The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. On today's show, we're going to talk about Austin's match against LAFC, the upcoming friendly against Tigres, and we also have an interview with Austin FC goalkeeper coach Preston Burpo. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Happy to be here recording on a Sunday night, which is a day earlier than normal. So hopefully, hopefully no news happens yeah, on Monday. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully no news happens on Monday. And if you do, you'll get one of those like, hey, gang, this is Landon. And I'm dropping in with some exciting, uh, you know, we, we signed Gene Yak news that came out of the uh, Joshua press conference on Monday afternoon. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that might not happen, though. Yeah, yeah, hopefully not. But uh, lot, lots of soccer happening these days, huh, Jeremiah? Yeah, there is. So did y'all go watch, did you go somewhere and watch Argentina and Brazil last night? Yeah, me and Ashley went to Hop Squad and ran into some of the, some Los Verdes folks over there. And then uh, I took, Ash, Ashley's out of town for work this week. And so I took her to the airport and then came home and uh, watched like three straight games of soccer after she left. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, England or Italy and England. And, uh, you know, I want to take joy in England, just like falling apart at the end, you know, year after year, but I, mean, I almost felt bad for England fans. I never, you can't, you never feel bad for like the team, but I feel a little bit bad for England fans after the way they played and those expectations, the early goal. And then to just <laughs> get that close and not, not completed again. what do you think about that one? I was honestly kind of the the exact opposite. I <laughs> I kind of like this England team. There's I think there's some likable players on the team and it's a bunch of young exciting guys and they're they're pretty fun to watch. And England fans are like extremely obnoxious to me. And so <laughs> I was like I wanted to I liked the team to do well, but I wasn't going to cry for for and this is unfair. This is if if any fan base were judged by by their worst members, then none of us are going to look great, right? But uh, I, on for selfish reasons, I wanted Italy to win because I had Italy in like a kind of like a blind draw pool, and I ended up drawing Italy, and so I was going to win some money if Italy won, and they won. So, ching. Oh, so <laughs> so England is the Columbus of Europe, I guess is what I'm hearing. So I know you like watching that team play too and don't always love the fans. <laughs> yeah. And was that the was that the Austin FC UK blind pool or was it a different one? Uh no, it was just with uh, a few a okay. few random friends. It was a small group. Okay. Well, I, I thought I missed that on that. I knew in, in that one I was the other one I was in it, I drew the Czech Republic. And so it was it was a run longer than I thought, but it eventually ended way before the final. Yeah, and then we've got US playing um Haiti right right now at this moment, in case you wonder why I keep glancing off to the side. Oh uh, to yeah, check it I out. I got this I got to see the first goal and that was it. So I have a recording now. Uh so in other interesting news, Jeremiah, I don't know if you realize this, but this is our fiftieth episode. I did not realize that, and that seems kind of crazy. It really does. Yeah, so congratulations to us and uh yeah, I want to take the opportunity to to thank you for all that you do for the show because it's been like kind of a wild ride that we ended up on at first together kind of accidentally and then continued it intentionally together and 
yeah, it's 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 been very enjoyable, and and I just want you to know how much I appreciate how much you do for all this. Well, that means a lot to me. And at the moment, at the moment when we didn't know if we were going to do a show together ever again, back in what May of last year, maybe uh, something like that. Yeah, spring of yeah. twenty twenty. When I, when I was like making the, that decision, one of the things that stressed me out the most was about whether we could keep doing a podcast together. So I'm very, very happy that we found a solution for that. And I'm extra happy that people that aren't, you know, your mom or like the <laughs> eight close friends of ours that we have that listen to every show and have through all these versions to listen to it, because it's also been really great to keep doing this and hopefully keep doing it better and really build what is a, a decent sized audience. And so I want to thank everybody that has been along for this whole journey. And those of you who weren't around for the painful early parts and sort of get the part now where we've <laughs> figured it out a little bit too. Yeah, we're we're definitely working on our our Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours right now. <laughs> I I tried to do the math and I was like maybe we're already there and I did like some rough math. I was like not even close. <laughs> not, not even, even close. close, but it's more hours than we had 2 years ago and I think hopefully that comes across in the final product. But yeah, thanks Jeremiah and thanks to all the listeners for for sticking with us for so long. All right, let's jump into some soccer talk. Uh, so first thing we're going to cover is the LAFC match. Uh, a little bit of a bummer that one was. What what were your impressions of, of that game overall? Or what was the sentiment leaving the stadium last week? I think that that was the perfect sentiment leaving the stadium. But it was even one, um, if there's ever been a game where the vibe was just off, I felt like it was that one. All the way from... When I got to Hop Squad before, like it just felt like there weren't as many people there. Is there? I mean, it's a Wednesday night game, right? So yeah, there's just like there weren't that like that the energy wasn't as much as it was the week before. There didn't seem like to be as many people. You know, we walked over to the stadium and 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 got to the seats, and it wasn't it wasn't it's was just like an off night all night, and then you know that led in into the game, and then yeah, when it was over, um. You just got on the train and went home, you know, just it was just a strange night all the way around. Yeah. And it did feel off in the stadium. Mind you, I, when I watched it back on the television broadcast, I was still like, it is loud as hell in that stadium. And like the fact that it like in the stadium, comparatively speaking, it felt like a little subdued. It is still extremely loud. And so this is not criticism or anything of anybody or like even saying it's bad it was just like less than it was in the games before which was kind of I think a lot of it's just a Wednesday night also like the Portland game was such a like this culmination and like this peak of all of these emotions and expectations and you could feel it walking into that game in Portland like something's gonna happen tonight something big's gonna happen tonight and then it did and then coming into this game I think there's maybe like some nerves because it was LAFC and then it was a Wednesday night and then plus kind of the the hangover from the Portland game. So I think it was kind of a lot of things combined, but um, the the very center of that supporter section was still definitely bringing the noise and bringing the energy. Yeah, there's a story I wanted I wanted to tell about that, and especially because it's LAFC. And I, I was talking to somebody, I don't rem- remember who, uh, a couple days after. And so I went... The, the one LAFC game I've been to was it, was, it was a Wednesday night in September, but it was the night they won the Supporter Shield versus Houston in 2019. And, you know, they have this reputation as being like the best fan culture in MLS, right? But 
I mean, the 3252 was like loud and full and jumping, but half that the rest of the stadium was empty. So, you know, I feel like our experience last week was way better than that, which is known is the best exp- fan experience in MLS. And still, like, everybody was just so like frustrated, you know, and worked up about how like yeah. it, it was a down game. And I think at some point people need to appreciate like the specialness that that that, that they built and just accept that. I mean, yeah, it could have been better, but it still wasn't bad to your point. Yeah, for sure. Um, so leading into this game, we were, I think we, most Austin fans were kind of on a high, right? After that Portland game. And we were wondering if we could carry that into this LAFC game. LAFC has been struggling a little bit. They've, um, over the last few games have found a bit more form and Vela looks healthy and, and back in form, but overall they still look a bit like a struggling team. Um, and so we thought maybe, maybe we could do it, but the day, I don't remember when all this information came out, I guess Gallagher, we knew wasn't going to play. Then there were some rumors before the game saying that Pochettino was maybe not going to play. And then that ended up being true that, um, he was not even on the bench for the game. Uh, turns out he had a, a slight abductor injury. It doesn't seem like it's anything super serious. That it was more of just a precaution to to keep him out from keep him out to prevent it from becoming something serious. Um, but it definitely kept us from from playing our our best lineup and had again very few midfield options that we could play and. Uh, I, I think that led to a lot of the problems that we're going to talk about as the game went on. Um, as far as formation goes, at the the graphic that they put on the broadcast said a four four two, and Adrian Mike on the uh, on the broadcast kept talking about a four four two, but I don't think that ever actually happened. I think it was extremely similar to in attack. It was very similar to what we saw last week against Portland, kind of that three that three, five, two look that we saw. And then in defense, it was more like a four, two, three, one. And so instead of like the straight up four, two, two with the, uh, normally it's Pochettino and Dominguez kind of at the top. Um, Fagundes was kind of playing in Pochettino's role. And instead of him pushing up high, he kind of dropped back and it was a pretty clear, like four, two, three, one in defense. Uh, and I think a lot of that had to do with just, being a bit more solid defensively and not not getting broken on on the counterattack because it's something LAFC is extremely uh, extremely good at. But I, I thought there was, with the lack of players, it was hard to know. Like, I think there were two options, right? You could play Diego on the wing where he looked really good against Portland. But then because Pochettino is not there, you'd have to play maybe little Sebastian in the midfield. The other option is play Diego in the midfield and you have to play someone else on the wing and ended up being Kukuta Mane. So I think it was kind of like pick your poison there. Like you're going to have an obvious weak link in one of those spots and they chose the midfield strength and keeping Diego in the midfield. But, um, but yeah, it's Wolf was definitely in a, in a tough spot picking that lineup for sure. Yeah. This goes back to an opinion that, that I've sort of, felt too is we have exactly enough attacking players to be competent in the attack and once you start losing like if you don't have Gallagher and you don't have Pochettino and you lose access to Pereira at some point like it's just hard to be they're just not deep enough at this point to be like sustain threats in the attack 
given where we are. Right. So starting off this game, things looked okay, right? Like I, I thought we looked very much in the game. There was a few semi-dangerous chances. Uh, in the 24th minute, Carlos Vela ends up scoring a goal, um, but it got called back because of uh, VAR review. And there's a very clear foul in in my mind. In in the moment in the stadium, I thought it was an obvious foul. And then watching it back on the, the broadcast when they showed a certain angle of the replay, it was definitely a foul. But uh, overall, I, I thought this ref did not have a very good night. And I think this was one example of him missing that foul that led to a potential goal that could have very easily stood and ended up getting called back thanks to VAR. Um, I think that was kind of a turning point in the game. It started looking a little bit more frantic after that. And then a few minutes later, Danny Pereira goes down and has to be pulled out. And I think it got even worse at that point. Uh, but we're already short in the midfield. And so I was talking about picking your poison, either starting Burhalter or starting Mane. Well, after the 38th minute, congratulations, you're starting both you of them. You get both, yeah. <laughs> and so 39th minute, not long after that, uh, Cifuentes ends up scoring the first goal for LAFC. So this one, I think we can all agree, is mostly on Brad Stuver. Um, he, they were working around the back. Uh, Stuver receives it right in front of his goal. Uh, little Sebastian is kind of checking back and calling for the ball, but doing it a little bit casually. And I think that combined with Stuver playing it, playing it way too wide for him to get to. And uh, Kim Moon-Hwan, who is very fast, ends up picking it off, plays a one-two off of Vela, takes a shot. Stuver saves that shot, but then it falls to Cifuentes, who has pretty much an open net to put it into. Uh, and that makes it one nil. So yeah, like I said, I think that's mostly on, on Stuver, but I feel like he's, he's earned a few mistakes before we can actually start blaming him for anything. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. And, uh, he talked about that. Well, he did the Verde and black podcast with Adrian Healy, um, and talked about how, you know, you have to be two things you have to be, you have to be perfect and stopping every shot. And you have to have a very short memory and, you know, he wasn't perfect in the moment, and so everybody sees it because when you're a keeper, your mistakes are magnified in a way that nobody else's is. Uh, but he did a good job of having a short memory from it and, and bouncing back from it, and I expect that he will learn from it, and we'll hear from Preston Burpa a little more about that uh, later on. Yeah, for sure. Um, going into halftime, it was it still felt a little bit frantic, but it never felt like we were completely out, completely out of it yet. And then watching the rest of the game the second time through i i kind of expected it to look like lafc was just dominating us but that really wasn't the case like it was not a one-sided game by any means it was very reminiscent of the like the san jose and columbus games where we were moving the ball getting into good spaces and decision-making and execution was letting us down as soon as we stepped across the imaginary line that that demarcated the final third of the pitch. And just like, okay, we get over here, do the wrong thing every time. And that's that's what it seemed like was happening. Yeah, and it was one of those weird ones where sometimes the wrong thing was shooting and sometimes the wrong thing was passing. But when presented <laughs> yeah. with the choice, we, yeah, we always did the wrong one. Hey, did you ever like, uh, did you have 
ever do choose your own adventure books? Yeah. Do you remember those? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what we're doing. We choose your own adventure. And, <laughs> Jared, Str- Jared Stroud's adventure always ended up with getting eaten by a dragon or something. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of our he, night this week. He shot, he, he had two early chances where he shot and it got blocked where he maybe could have like cut it back. And then later in the game, he had two chances where he should have shot and like had a pretty clear opportunity to like, it would have been a tough goal, but he could have at least challenged the keeper and maybe forced the keeper to spill it and, and maybe like win a second, second ball goal or something like that. And those times when he had those, he tried to cut it back or play a pass inside. And so he, he was just picking the wrong option every time it seemed. And, yeah, just unfortunate, but also I, I think he's – we've kind of seen what he's capable of, and I don't know that he's going to get much better at doing some of these things. And it's, yeah, not a knock on him. I, I would love to have him as an option off the bench, but if he continues to being continues to be one of our main attacking threats, we are going to continue to not score goals. I, I think that's completely fair. And maybe it's something he can work on in the off season with, you know, with, with commitment or, or training or whatever, but that's where yeah, we really miss. It's weird to think like we really miss John Gallagher. Who's the guy who's all doesn't, you know, it's a similar league track record, right? I mean, he's never lit. He's never lit the league up anywhere, but he seems to have at least shown touches of like taking the next step in Austin in terms of being a finisher and a goal scorer on the wing. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, in the 74th minute, there was one really big chance. It was off of a corner, and Ring was more or less unmarked and tried to kind of redirect it to the back post. He was like, I think, just outside the six-yard box, somewhere around there, maybe a little closer even, and was unmarked, had a – the ball was moving fast, so it was kind of tough, and he was moving as well, but he absolutely should have put it on frame at least and probably should have scored it and ends up pushing it a little bit wide and missing the goal entirely. But um, talking about the goal or the game not being as one-sided as I remembered, I think at that point, if that ball goes in, that's that's a new game from that point. Um, just from a momentum standpoint, I don't know that we would have been able to score another goal based on how we were playing, but as far as just how the momentum was going, I think that could have swung it big time. And so that, that was a pretty big miss by ring there. Uh, not long after that in the 89th minute, Diego Rossi ends up killing it off with a goal assisted by Carlos Vela. This was uh, talking about giving Stuver the blame for the first goal. Uh, little Sebastian ended up giving this ball away pretty naively. Like, and I think he did that a few times in the game, but, um, should have played it a little bit safer, gives up the ball. And if you do that to, with LAFC, they're going to punish you. And they did two times to us. Yeah, they did. And that's sort of where the uh, search for the exits came, I think, t- during the week. from from a, uh, Not during the week, like dur- during the match from a lot of folks. It's a 2-1, you know, 89 minutes. How much extra time did there end up being? Just uh, there's quite a bit more than I thought. I couldn't because there's like some yeah. injuries and LAFC seemed from about the 65th minute on or so they were kind of milking. Anytime someone was on the ground, they would lay down for a while. And so they they seemed like they were happy with kind of letting the clock run down in the, the latter stages of the game. Yeah, but I mean, I think I mean, you really hit on it. And this is what we can talk later about. You know, we talked uh, 
about good Austin or bad Portland. I mean, I think in some way when you're like, you make a mistake and you have Carlos Vela and Diego Rossi on the other end of it, like you, you expect to be punished for that. And that's something we don't like, we don't, we don't have that yet. Maybe three years from now when, when our DPs have been playing together, you know, when Pochettino Fagundes have like figured each other out and they're connecting, like maybe it'll be different, but it's just, we're not in the same place um, in this moment. Yeah, for sure. Um, So getting into some of the player performances, we just mentioned Sebastian Berhalter. What was your impression of him? Did you did you have a an opinion on him? I mean, most so most of what I picked up was just from the stadium that night because um, I did not rewatch it afterwards. I meant to and not, didn't get around to it, <laughs> and I really felt like he looked lost a lot of the match. Um, he just he seemed to turn the ball over a lot, um, made some easy mistakes. I, mean, I guess he was probably he wasn't playing in a spot that. He right. He was expecting to play in probably not his most natural position, but he did not look like a starting eleven MLS player to me when watching it that night. Yeah, I I agree. I I do think he has a lot of potential though. He because he showed some flashes of of some pretty pretty special things during the game. He's when he receives the ball in open space. He's got a really like really smooth half turn and can kind of turn out of pressure and uh, passes the ball quite well. I saw the I can't remember what game it was, but he made a few like kind of long diagonal passes, which if you're familiar with who his father is, Greg Berhalter, he's famous for like only playing sixes who can play that kind of ball. And so Michael Bradley was his darling in the national team, either even after Bradley was kind of probably past it. He could still play that long diagonal pass. And so he kept getting minutes. And then Jackson Ewell is maybe the, the, uh, the guy who's getting more minutes than he should because of that. And then it was Will Trapp for a while, but someone, I saw someone make the joke online that, uh, Sebastian Berhalter is good at making those passes because it was the only way he got to eat when he was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's, he does have some really, really good skills, but, there were some moments where LAFC's press was was ferocious. They're a very very good in that in that uh, in their pressing game, and so there's a few times he would get surrounded and should have or maybe could have either just play it long or play a safe pass or drop it back or do something. And he tried to do a little bit too much or hesitated a little bit too long until the pressure was too much and ended up coughing the ball up. And so I think, again, talking about missing Danny Pereira, these are moments where Danny Pereira has the ability to kind of dribble through some of those situations and is shown to be, I think he's made some mistakes over the season as well, but has been overall for, especially for as young as he is a pretty good decision maker as well when he's on the ball. And it was, yeah, as as high an upside as I think Burhalter has, he's not the finished product right now and is not as close to being that product as Pereira is. And so, um, yeah, I I wish the best for him and still have high hopes for him going forward. But if he has to start more games for us in the future, I'm going to be pretty nervous about it. Yeah, you just got to remind everybody he's still he's still young. So um, we'll move on to somebody who did get a start uh, that. I think a lot of people were calling for Kukutamane. Um, and I think generally on that night, people were pretty disappointed by it. But then 
Chris Bills posted an impassioned defense of Mane's play, which I felt like it was, you know, all the bad Mane. Like it was limited. You know, he's got you kind of know where he's going to go. I feel like an attack. Um, so he he kind of he was seemed like he was really predictable at night, but. It seems like maybe you have a different opinion after rewatching it beyond that. <laughs> so, night. I was very down on Kukutamane then that night in the stadium, and I saw Chris Bills post that tweet saying like, "I think Mane was actually pretty good," and I was like, "A, you're wrong, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind as I rewatch this and see, like, reassess my opinion of it essentially." And on the second watch. He was much better than I thought he was. I, I think in especially in like the first 20 minutes, he did some some pretty useful things. Um, and for long stretches in the game, he was pretty good. And even like the stuff that I've maybe guessed that he wouldn't be very good at, or at least worse than Gallagher and Stroud, like tracking back and doing some more like that dirty work. Monty did quite a bit of that and was like pretty good at it during the course of the game. I think the thing that I didn't change my mind about is that he still made some very poor, poor decisions and like failed pretty in a, in a pretty big ways in the moments when it mattered most. And so, yeah, did he do some good things? Sure he did. But as far as like him solving any problems for us, I think he offers a different set of problems to solve. And so like if Gallagher is healthy, I'm still choosing Gallagher um, every time. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I, I feel, I still think Mane is like a bit of a Hail Mary. Like if we're chasing a game late, throw him on for 10 or 15 minutes and see if he can make something happen. But I don't really trust him to do much more than that still, even, even though I did change my opinion about his performance in this game, my overall opinion of him is not changed very much at all. Yeah, my next my next opinion I want to offer is on Diego Fagundes' shorts. <laughs> um, they seem to start short, and they keep getting shorter throughout the match. Um, I don't, so he's got to be rolling them up, I, I assume, is what's going on. And somebody... I have a report from somebody asked him somewhere, and he said, like, the angrier he gets, the more he rolls his shorts up. <laughs> yeah, he's, he did it during... Uh, he was streaming. He does like he has like oh, a Twitch, Twitch stream yeah, and like Twitch, streams right? video yeah. games. And somebody asked him in the chat there, and he said during that, yeah, he said the angrier I get, the higher the shorts go, <laughs> which I thought was awesome. And I, th- I think somehow I saw a connection to like the ref, the ref or a non call that you were talking about. Like I think he had, this, he had the same opinion on the officiating that, that you did um, in the LAFC game, which I think caused yeah. the shorts to get shorter during the night, but. <laughs> I mean, he played, you know, he played a good Diego game, I felt like. You know, he, I mean, he covered the field. He seemed a little bit more worn down again, I thought, you know, from this one than, than he has before. But that's completely understandable, given how much space he's occupying. I mean, how, how did you feel about how he played? Yeah, I think he was overall solid. There's, in the last couple of games, I feel like he's gotten the ball, like, in the box or, like, in some really tight spaces, and his touch has kind of let him down. And I'd like to see him – I think that would be something that could kind of, like, elevate him to that next level and is probably the thing that keeps him from being, like, the number 10 playmaker that we can really depend on. Um, he is – he's been an extremely important part of our team, but I think 
unless he's able to kind of elevate that specific part of his game, we do still need someone else to kind of take up that mantle and do that. If we do get that, I still want Diego on the field. I just think he's he's still extremely useful in, in a lot of other ways. But that one little thing is just like his touch and like movement in those really tight spaces are, are what's going to separate what he's doing from like an elite number 10. Uh, but overall, I think, again, he was he was still really good, like he has always been. I don't know that he's had a bad game necessarily for Austin. And he's done it from all over the field, right? I mean, he's played he's played everywhere in the midfield and on the wing um, yeah. so far and gives it his all. So it's definitely a good player um, to have to do that. And then I think the last player we'll talk about is Brad Stuver. We already kind of mentioned this, um, but that mistake that led to the goal. Aside from that, it seemed like he had a pretty good game. Um, the two goals, I don't think there's anything aside from making that pass. Once they came at him and were making the shots, he did well. Uh, the second goal was from point blank nearly. There's nothing he could have really done. So um, aside from that pass, he had a really good game, but he did he did uh, post a tweet after the game that I think kind of broke a lot of people's hearts. <laughs> Yeah, he did. It, it was it, that was probably the hardest part of getting home, you know, that night um, and reflecting on the game and just seeing that because he did own it completely and said that one is on me, Austin C fans. I put us in a hole early. Your support, as always, is truly appreciated. We move on to the next together. I mean, and just to see the guy that's carried us, you know, so much. He's been he's been the player of the match, like all of May and all of June. Um, you know, and for him to make that mistake finally and then own it in that way, just, yeah, it broke my heart a little bit. And I wanted yeah. to make sure and acknowledge that because he's an incredible player in person still. Yeah. And lots of lots of fans and I think even some of the other players are very quick to to respond and say, like, keep your head up, dude. Like we would be literally in a much worse position right now if, if it weren't for you this season. So there's a lot of people kind of giving him some love after that, which is really good to see. Um, let's go through some of the stats real quick. So Austin ended up with 63% possession. So good to see them at least moving the ball and, and keeping the ball pretty well. Uh, it was again, I, I think this game reminded me a lot of, I think I've already said this, but the San Jose game and the, um, and the Columbus game, but against teams that have, players who can finish the ball, <laughs> like finish goals really well. Uh, we are getting into those attacking attacking areas and just doing nothing. Yeah, and a note on that that Josh specifically uh, talked about in the press conference after the game said that the team uh, did not have the calm to create overloads this week. Uh, and I think when we, we talked about the Portland match, we talked about, especially on the, um, I guess it was the Gallagher goal, right, where there was like, several players in the box, Diego running guys off and they were just, they were creating the space and opportunity to score, to finish goals. And they didn't do it at all this week. And he, he brought that up. Did you observe that? And do you, I mean, do you kind of agree that that's the biggest difference between the way they finished against Portland versus the way they didn't finish against LA? Yeah. I, I think that's, that is a, a big difference. And I, th I do think a lot of that is still down to personnel though. Um, Playing Diego on the wing against Portland let us play our th three of our best players. Essentially, it allowed us to put most of our best players on the on the field at the same time by putting Pereira, Pochettino, and Ring in the midfield and putting 
Fagundes on the wing, having all four of those guys on the field is is good. They've been four of our of our better looking players all season. And the way that Diego moved from the wing and then kind of the freedom that that setup gave Pochettino to move around, it did create overloads. And like you, like you said, that Gallagher goal was, was a really good example where Pochettino starts between the center backs, runs all the way out to the right wing. And then you end up having like Diego coming across and a lot of movement and kind of causing a lot of problems for the defense in those moments. And that wasn't really happening in this game. Um, and I, I think it's, it's partly due to, players tendencies and like Mane isn't the same player as Diego when he's playing out on the wing. And so he's going to play it a little bit differently, but then also just not having the the guys to be able to take advantage of those moments. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I still think right now our best 11 involves Diego playing wide and having Pochettino and Pereira healthy, but who knows if that's going to happen. We don't really have any word on, on Pereira yet Pochettino should be back soon but hopefully Danny's not out for too long because uh, I I think he is a part of our best 11 and just by being able to play other players in other positions when he's on the field helps out a lot yeah yeah it does um and Beasler talked in the post game about how when they play out of the back and do it right it puts a lot of pressure on teams which they did against Portland you know, and he he talked about them being sloppy, but the, part of that's also, to your point, the quality of the players who are on the field, who, and their ability to be sloppy or not. And you know, we saw not the best version of ourselves um, on that game. We did outshoot LA fourteen to twelve. Um, a lot of those shots came from outside the box, which we talked about last week is not conducive toward um, goal scoring. And we didn't have a ton on target. We actually had fewer shots on target uh, than LA did, also. And which led to sort of a mess of a performance ultimately in the end. Going into some of the just like thoughts and, and narratives coming out of the game. I know Chris Bills in his story called it a, uh, a bit of a reality check. Do we, what do, what do we think about that? Is that, is that accurate? It was this a reality check for Austin FC? I think it was a little bit of a reality check, but again, it, to me, it comes back to health. Maybe it comes back to like the lack of depth in the roster, but um, we were missing a ton of our, our attacking talent. Um, and then also, I feel like LA deserves a lot of credit too. You know, we tend yeah. to watch all these, we tend to think about these matches all just in terms of like, was Austin the best version of Austin or not? But um, just like our last week discussion was about, you know, should we, how much credit should, should we take for a Portland team that was a little beat up? Um, you know, I think we have to give credit to LA. I mean, they've, they're, they're deep, they're strong, they're talented. They're finally putting in a little, a little bit together. They've got Rossi and Vela, like we talked about, you know, they've got, they've got a ton of potential and a ton of talent. Yeah. I, this is something I was thinking about. And then I saw, um, Kevin Morris post this on Twitter, but I think this, it is a reality check in a way that, this is what a really good MLS team looks like, right? Right. And just like matching up man to man, you could probably say all of their players were better than all of our players. On the night and probably just in general, I would say there might be one or two guys that I would pick over their guys if I were picking a team today. And 
so I think it was a bit of a reality check in that regard. Um, I think performance wise, yeah, injuries hurt it a little bit, but as far as just like being a really elite team in this league, and I know LAFC is not doing great this year, but those players are undeniably talented. And I think there are moments uh, we've been singing Hector Jimenez's praises over the last few weeks. I think he got a little bit exposed by Raheem Edwards and Raheem Edwards is not one of the players that you talk about on LAFC uh, for being amazing. He's not, not even the first five or six names you name on that team. And he, he made Hector Jimenez look not very good several times that night. And so I think little moments like that made me realize that like, okay, we Austin is showing signs of progress and there's reasons to be optimistic and there's reinforcements coming in these new signings, but there's still quite a ways to go before we reach the the heights of of what an MLS team can be. Yeah, I think that's that's so I was just looking. I mean, and LA's in fifth now in the West. So I mean, a not good LAFC team, or not you know, not great, not hitting all on all cylinders is you know, they're still they're still doing okay. It's just I mean the names, if you just look at the names on that roster compared to the names on the Austin roster, I mean, it's not even close in terms of familiarity or um, experience or production or anything like that um, at all. Um, one of the other things I noticed watching is Alex Ring seemed to be in a bad mood um, all night. And I don't know <laughs> if that was just the view from the supporter section, but did you observe that too? I did see him. I think I saw like one of the times uh, Burhalter turned the ball over in midfield I think I saw him just kind of like give him a glance and I don't know if he even said anything, but he was just looking at him and it was a look that I would have not wanted to be on the receiving end of. I, I, I think you're right. Did you see any other moments where you thought he yeah. looked angry yeah. or was it just like his general demeanor overall? I mean, overall it, it did, but yeah, I mean, at the end he seemed to be sort of up in the defender's faces a little bit like at the like at the very end of the match and even like going off the field he was like john on wolf some too so he was just like in a bad mood all the way oh, around wow. like i didn't he, see that yeah yeah he was yeah when they were when they were kind of going off the field toward it the, because they come down you know down to the end down to the south end there but he was he was not a, a happy dude which I, I seems to fit right he's super passionate and i think with that performance i could completely understand why but he was at the end of the match he was sort of all over everybody that happened to make the misfortune <laughs> <laughs> being like around Alex Ring after a two a loss. Uh, so, like, how are we feeling coming out of this one? Yeah, I think Josh talked at, at the end about it being fortunate that we don't have another MLS game until the twenty second against Seattle, and I think that's how I feel too. Is that yeah. let's take a couple weeks off. Some people need breaks. GTA needs a little bit of training with the team. You know, hopefully. We get Pochettino and Pereira back, and this is like a different team two weeks from the match than it was on that night. Yeah, and at least Gallagher seems like a pretty realistic option to be back. Pochettino seems like a pretty realistic option. We'll probably have, like, as this episode comes out, we'll likely already have more information about Pereira, but uh, that one seems a little less of a sure thing just because it's, said it was an abdomen issue and you you just never know with those kinds of things uh how long it's going to take to to heal up but yeah we i think i think the the break will definitely be good to get some guys fit to let some guys rest so yeah hope hopefully they'll they'll get enough rest um 
over these next couple of weeks. We do have this game coming up against Tigres, though, uh, which would be great. Like if we had a whole like second squad to run in and play this game, but we don't really. And so I'm not sure how much rest we're actually going to get. But this Tigres game is it's kind of a big deal and it's pretty exciting. So. For fans who, I know this is kind of a strange thing, especially if you're not uh, like a hardcore soccer fan or haven't been following that long, to be playing, just randomly playing another team from another country for no real reason. Uh, but Tigres is one of the the bigger Liga Emekis teams, uh, definitely one of the, the biggest and most passionate fan bases in Mexico. They have some really big star players, some guys that you'll you'll recognize from the Mexican national team. Uh, is it Andre Pierre? What is his first name? Gignac? Andre Pierre, I believe, is his first name. Anyway, Gignac. He's one of the one of the biggest stars in Liga Mekis, maybe the biggest star in Liga Mekis, a French striker that's been there for the last few years and just has been amazing. And so uh some really big stars, a really big brand in Mexico and in the United States, which is part of the reason why these teams are coming here. So you'll see uh, Mexican teams coming over and kind of playing exhibition exhibition matches against each other, kind of like a, a publicity tour where they're playing against other teams. And so Tigres is doing that now, but instead of playing other Mexican teams on every stop, one of the stops is in Austin and they're going to be playing against Austin FC. So I think that makes sense why Tigres is playing this game. It's They can make a lot of money coming to the States and playing these games, right? And it's a good marketing effort. Why is Austin playing this game is a question I've been asking myself. Yeah, that is that is a fair question. Yeah, for Tigres, it's like every big international team does like a summer. You do a summer tour, right, of the U.S. And I, mean, I know the, like the English teams do that. And right. Some of the other Mexican, Mexican teams do that. Um, I mean, I think for Austin, I guess it's just... The only thing I can think of is Austin FC wanting to like expose um, the league to MLS and the club to the Tigres fan base. I mean, there's two um, things that show that a little bit today to me. One, uh, Monterrey is closer than any MLS city other than Dallas or Houston, I believe. So, oh, really? <laughs> they, yeah, it's only six and a half hours away, and I'm pretty sure yeah. that makes it that makes it nearer. So, you know, I mean, they're they're almost a local. Um, but I thought. Uh, the club today put a video out on Twitter with like Ruben Pizarro who, from Univision, who's been you know sports guy for a million years, um, and like he grew up a Tigres fan, and uh, now he's an Austin FC guy, and it shows him with his Tigres jersey and his Austin jersey. And I think they're just trying to 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 milk a little bit of that market with of, of people who either like were born in Mexico or have Mexican heritage who've moved to Austin and like try to build that connection because you know on the field I don't know that it makes a ton of sense and. They're not going to make a lot of extra money off of it because all the season ticket holders are getting tickets as part of their package. But I think it's just um, building that relationship from from among the fan base is the reason that I can think of that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. And just maybe putting Austin on the map to um, to fans of Tigres or just fans of Liga Mekis who have not ever thought about MLS or not really thought about Austin FC and either going to the stadium that night or tuning in on TV and watching it and seeing this, this beautiful brand new stadium and this amazing supporter section 
and the atmosphere that's been created in that stadium, it's, it's a great advertisement for the team and for the league. Right. So uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right that it, it makes a lot of sense just as kind of a marketing exercise. Um, So what are, what are we expecting out of this game? Yeah, I think you're 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 uh, seeing the great supporter section on TV is that one of the things that I wonder the most about because, you know, will it be? I mean, Tigres has a bunch of fans, and I imagine not and, a lot of them will be in the South End, but I imagine it'll be a lot of them there for invading opposing opposing teams' stadiums and making them like some of the the more poorly su- supported teams or poorly attended teams making it look like Tigre's home games. And so I don't know that it's quite going to be to that extent, but you can expect to see a lot of yellow jerseys in the stadium on Tuesday night. Yeah, I agree. It'll be a, it'll be a lot closer. I mean, it won't be 50-50, but it'll be a, way, a whole lot closer to that than we've seen from the 200 Portland fans or 250 LA fans or whatever that we've seen make, make attendance so far. And then, you know, lineup-wise... Um, it would be nice if we had an academy that was fully built out so we could play some yeah. kids because I don't think we have a choice other than to play some 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 of our regulars just in terms yeah. of like depth and availability. I would imagine that they'll kind of let us have unlimited substitutions in this game. So I wouldn't be surprised if you saw a mix in the like the starting lineup being a mix of some of the starters and some younger guys or like some fringe guys and then any of the guys who have played a lot of minutes over this season coming out at halftime or coming on at halftime or coming on for the last 30 minutes or something. But I would expect to see heavy rotation out of this. I mean, in a different set of circumstances, you might want to get some experience, like international experience, experience against uh, a big and a talented Mexican team, which is good practice for, for future CONCACAF Champions League aspirations and and things like that. But given the situation Austin is in as far as injuries and depth goes, I think you need to just put out a team that can play this game without like overworking anybody and without getting anybody hurt. Yeah, and I feel like that's that's like when Josh was talking about getting players back, and we may hear more about this on Monday after the match. Like it, it was as if the... Tigres game, you know, didn't exist in terms of injuries and things, which I think makes makes a ton of sense. Yeah, but that being said, there's only so many changes he can make, right? Like, right. Unless we're going to see Aiden Stanley in in midfield again, but like we do not have a second right back right now. So like, it's Hector Jimenez or Hector Jimenez, and and then if like yeah, okay we're going to play Aiden Stanley in the midfield okay then Kolmanich has to play left back because again we do not have another left back and so there are only so many changes you can make until you just run out of players and so i i think that's going to be interesting and we're prob- probably going to see some guys play in some positions that we have not seen them in before and maybe won't ever see them in again but uh yeah i i wolf just needs to make sure that we survive this game <laughs> I think it's the fairest description that you can you can have of the game for of, of this game for sure. Even if it's not going to be the strongest lineup, this is a really great opportunity for Austin fans to kind of showcase themselves to to the world, right? To to both MLS and to to Liga MX. And so uh I think there's still a lot to go and 
and be proud of and, and cheer for during the game. Another thing to be excited about is the possibility of seeing Musa Jite play his first game in an Austin FC jersey. We have not heard for sure if that will be the case, but um, I I think he's probably in town already. We haven't seen any confirmation of, of that yet, but uh, Claudio said in the press conference after after he was signed that um, the Seattle game on the 22nd would be his first MLS game he would be available for, and ideally he would be ready for this Tigres game and, and get 20 or 30-minute run out. But... Hopefully, hopefully we will get to see him because that would be very exciting just to to see him at all. But also, it would be great to for him to get some minutes with with the team before playing a competitive game. Yeah, and like you said to me uh, earlier today, you know, Claudio is not in the business of just like throwing dates or facts out. I would say he's very right. conservative about that. So if he did say that, I think it's quite likely that it's going to happen that, that he'll get some time, and which is could really be the highlight of the match for your Austin FC fan. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one one thing that I was, I don't know if this is a thing worth getting excited about, but I was really happy about it, that I think he's going to be wearing number 99. I was, uh, got on Instagram, I was trying to figure out if he was in town. And so I got on Instagram, was trying to find his, his account and he doesn't post very much on his account. And I was like, okay, maybe I can find like his agent or somebody and I ended up finding – it seems like it's like a team of people who represent him. But I found some pictures there where it looks like where he was like in France signing his contract and was holding up an Austin FC jersey with the number 99, which is the, the number he wore at Grenoble. Grenoble. Uh, and I was like, oh, please, please let us have a number 99 on this team. That would be awesome. And that's what that's what number was on his jersey. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we're going to get – some weird football numbers on our team. All right. Anything else before we move on to the interview, Jeremiah? No, I'm, I'm looking forward. To, well, I've already, we've already done the interview, so I'm definitely looking forward <laughs> to the interview, but you know, I didn't know what to expect uh, from talking to a goalkeeper coach. And I thought Preston was, you know, interesting. I think I learned more about keeper tactics than I ever knew before. And I think it should be a really good conversation. So hopefully folks will enjoy it. Yeah, and like we did get like a little bit nerdy, but like not in like a MLSE Tam Gam kind of way. It was like a soccer nerdy kind of way. And like, yeah, Preston gave us some some really insightful information for sure. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with Preston Burpo. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. You can go to fvf.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fvf.law. All right, we are joined today by Austin FC goalkeeper coach Preston Burpo. Preston, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Uh, so to start off with, just l- tell us how how you're enjoying Austin so far, and what attracted you to this opportunity in the first place. Sure. Uh, uh, I'll start with the attraction of, of Austin uh, to begin with. Josh Wolf. I mean, he was the attraction. Uh, I know him. 
you know, through working with him in DC years ago for a year and then watching him and Bert Halter build what they did in Columbus. And then obviously what they, they were doing with the national team. And Josh obviously was a massive part of that. Uh, so when Josh approached me about coming down here, talked to me, talked to me about that he was going to use similar game models, uh, that, that, that he'd worked with, uh, uh, with Burhalter. Uh, it was a pretty easy sell and just knowing Josh's person, uh, it, it, how hard he works, his dedication to this whole, this whole coaching thing. Um, it was pretty easy to say yes. Uh, and then, you know, and then seeing what Claudio had done from afar, watching what he had, what he had built in New York City, uh, knowing that he would be a massive part of this thing. And then obviously the ownership group, like starting with Precourt, I mean, hearing about the facility, hearing about the stadium, seeing the fans grow in the numbers that they were, I mean, it, kind of astonishing. Uh, so I'll add it all up. I mean, it was, it was a really, really simple answer uh, to, to say yes to here. Um, and in terms of, of how I'm feeling about Austin, yeah, uh, they've got great food. They've got running trails. Uh, I'm a vegan, so there's plenty of, there's plenty of, uh, of food around for that. And, and they have some, uh, they have some decent breweries too. So, uh, that's always, that's always good. Yeah. But everyone, everyone seems to be nice as can be here in Texas. So, uh, it's been very welcoming. Then, you know, on top of all that, I actually have uh, a sister and her husband live, live in Austin and oh, my wow. father lives here as well. So, uh, yeah, it all kind of came together and it's been, a, it was a pretty seamless transition with, 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 uh, all things considered moving, having to move from, uh, from, uh, New York. So goalkeepers are, are a bit of a different breed famously, right? They, they are essentially playing a different game to the rest of the players on the field for a lot of it. And so with your experience, you, you were a pro goalkeeper for about 15 years. You've been coaching for almost 10 years now. What can you tell us about the goalkeeper mentality and how that differs from the, like the rest of the team, the outfield players? Sure. Well, first off, I think most players are different. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think once you get to this, this level being a professional, you, you have to be different. You have to like, for instance, you know, is your forwards go like, they're going to get a few chances in the game. They might miss a couple, they might score one. Um, and just the, the, the mentality of knowing that mistakes will happen, but at the same time, yeah, you, you, you embrace the challenge of it. You embrace the pressure of it. Uh, you know, center backs, right. I mean, the way we play, you have to play out of the back and, and one bad pass can lead to a chance. So uh, the whole idea of keepers are just so different. I, I don't totally buy into that philosophy. Um, now at the same time, yeah, obviously they're the last, they're the last person uh, in the defending. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you've got to, you've got to take on a lot of challenges. Uh, and then in more so with this club, the way we play. And as you guys know, you know, Brad is the, is the starts our attack on, on you know, building out from the goalkeeper. So yeah, there is a lot of pressure, uh, in that. Um, and, and, you know, I never had to deal with anything like this, the way Brad's had to deal with this, uh, right. You know, sitting in front of 20,000 fans, 20,000 plus fans and, and playing balls out of the back in tight spaces. And, um, he's taken this on, uh, and in a huge way and embraced it and said, yeah, I'm up for the challenge. So, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, everyone's different in their way, in their own ways, but yeah, I mean, you've got you've got to be able to handle the pressure of 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 a lot uh, 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 as a goalkeeper for sure. Yeah, and you you mentioned. I think it's interesting to hear you say that you think like people always say like, oh, goalkeepers are the crazy ones. So it's interesting to hear you say like to kind of push back against that. It's like, oh, they're they're just soccer players, and so yeah, I, and I do believe that now. <laughs> I'm sure some of my teammates would say I, I was a little different back in the day, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, the, and obviously, yes, you gotta be, you've gotta be willing to, to take shots with close range into your face, into your body. Uh, you've got to learn how to be connected to your line and good footwork and you've got to work on your speed and your strength. And so I do think there's, there's different facets to what the goalkeepers have to do uh, and what they have to learn and what they have to be. Um, but to be totally different mentality wise, I mean, the pressure, at each, if you go through each position, it, it's all very high. It's all very high. Uh, and and I do, again, I don't think the goalkeeper's pressure is so much more than, than a striker that, that, that gets paid a lot of money to, to finish his chances. So goalkeepers in, I guess it was 90 in the 90s when the back pass rule was eliminated. Since sure. then, the goalkeepers have become a bit more integrated into the team and are playing more soccer, essentially, like becoming a bit more similar to the rest of the field. But there is still a lot of things that they do that is extremely different and illegal for most of the other players to do. So because of that, I think it, a lot of people have difficulty assessing goalkeeper play aside from did they stop the shot or did they make a big mistake? Are there sure, are there any like sure. little specific things that you could tell a lay person to look for when watching a goalkeeper, like this is a thing that you can tell a good keeper will do well. Sure. Yeah. So it even just uh, talking about playing out of the back and each team has their own philosophy on, on how willing they are to use the goalkeeper to play out of the back. Right. Where I came from uh, in the last club I worked with, there, there was very little playing out of the back where the goalkeeper had it. We'd play one way. If it wasn't, you know, if you couldn't, uh, if there wasn't a pass, then you play long and you get up and you, you, you squeeze the line and you, you try to win second balls. So here is totally, totally different uh, where, yes, I mean, you want to recirculate through the goalkeeper often and trying to find certain making sure the goalkeeper knows his best options. Uh, so, yeah, so depending on each club and yes, it's definitely evolved. I mean, gosh, I remember when that rule changed and, and even as a, as a goalkeeper, I'm thinking, what, what do we do here? What we can we have to play with that. We can't pick it up anymore. So yeah, I remember it being, being a challenge for me. Uh, and I never got to the, to the point where Brad, what, what we do here, Brad and Tarbell, uh, and, and I wasn't ever asked to do what they do as well. Um, and sorry, I started going on a rant and what was the, oh, that, uh, what people can look for. Yeah. Well, for instance, you know, something that we've been talking about with our goalkeepers is staying connected, staying connected with our, with our back line, uh, right. And their positioning and how high, how high of positioning can they take? Uh, and in terms of, you know, what, what they're reading, right. In terms of when that, that through ball is coming, how many options does the, you know, the opponent six have? Uh, are, are there two or three people running across the line? Is there just one person uh, running behind the line? And where's, you know, can you lean a little bit more toward the left or toward the right? So, you know, there's stuff like that uh, that, that I would say most people aren't looking for. Uh, and, you know, in terms of crosses, you know, where's the keeper positioning himself and, and crosses? We're, we're pushing our goalkeepers here to be aggressive. Um, 
right? We don't want our, our keepers drifting towards a near post if there's a, a wide cross. And again, I don't think I don't think most people are looking for these specifics uh, unless you're specifically assessing the goalkeeper, right? Or is, it, is, is are your goalkeepers catching the ball instead of punching the ball? Um, so yeah, and, and depending on, on what, what you value is a coaching staff as well. Um, right. I mean, we've, we've really been pushing, like going back to the crosses and being aggressive. We we've been pushing our goalkeepers to really, uh, be assertive and, and take control of the box, uh, dealing with narrow crosses, dealing with floated crosses, you know? So yeah, uh, little positioning aspects, I guess, you know, if you're really want to watch a goalkeeper for 90 minutes, which I can't imagine would be all that exciting <laughs> to every fan. Um, but yeah, there's little moments like that you could, you can look for. So I was researching, you know, looking around on Google and stuff before we decided to record. And I was looking for some like weird Preston Burpo stories or moments and either mm -hmm. you don't have any, or you've done a good job of hiding them. But what I did find was like a lot of stories about your connection to the fans in Seattle. And I know you spent a long time there, but I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that relationship and then, you know, maybe like. Brad seems to have done a little bit of that already here. Like, is that a keeper thing or like, just talk about how that was important to you. Huh? Okay. I know. Well, big differences again, uh, just like game model of the way we play here and the way I was, I was asked to play way back when social media, I, I, there was no social media back then, or, you know, it was just coming to, and even still, I'm not, I'm not a social media person, but so I know that there's that, and I know that Brad, Brad uh, takes part in, in the social media world, and and he seems to embrace it, and he seems to love, he seems to love being a, like letting fans in on on his world, which I think is amazing. I think in my own way, when I played in Seattle, you know, when you're there for so long, you get to you get to meet fans after the games, before the games. Uh, yeah. And you just, you take time to, to say hello and sign autographs. And, and I always knew that fans were a big part of every club. And <laughs> we were back in Seattle, uh, Memorial day weekend. And I mean, literally you see the same fans that were there however many years ago it was now, right. The last time I played there was 2005. Right. And I mean, you see, you kind of have a you wave to some of these people thinking that's amazing that they've stuck they've stuck it with the stuck through the club for so many years so yeah uh i i enjoyed saying i enjoyed talking to fans so is that why they like me i don't know i would hope they <laughs> like me because we we you know uh, we we helped the club win a couple of games over the time i was there right i think that's 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 why the fans show up for for the most part uh to see their club win so yeah and they know that i put a lot into it they know they know that i wasn't afraid to to put my body on the line and tackles and go into a crowd for crosses and yeah so i i gave everything i had uh for the club while i was there so i don't want to speak for them and why they they embrace me but i would think that would that would have something to do with it yeah i definitely got that connection for reading those stories and i think one of them was about you sort of sneaking into the supporters section, maybe in a game in, in later years and just watching with the fans and how much they appreciated that. Uh, so what happened was I was actually, I was actually working. I just started working for Montreal. We went to go, they asked me to go scout a couple people uh, in that played for Vancouver and Seattle. They, they were on our list for potential expansion draft. And so they sent me out there. And then in the second half, I had, I had terrible seats in the first half. So a friend of mine and I, a friend of the friend of that I was with, uh, that went to the game with me, we decided to go sit in, yeah, in the sounder section. 
one because we just thought it would be kind of cool to see what the energy was like and i wasn't going there to to get handshakes and hellos i tried to sneak in actually and a couple of people saw me but it was cool i mean just to, to to feel the energy of that and they actually ended up winning the cascadia cup that night in vancouver and i mean they he passed me the cup which which was kind of a, <laughs> and a little bit funny a little bit like i didn't want the attention but at the same time kind of special knowing that that I had I had some really fond years there. Oh, that's really cool. I mean, I think it shows a real connection there. Um, so, for those of us that don't spend a lot of time watching practice or game weeks, like what is what what does practice look like? You know, what does game day look like as a goalkeeper coach? Um, what, sure. what are you focused on? Sure. Yeah, you know, uh, tying in you know, some concepts for the goalkeepers, you know, segueing into the, to the team training, right. If we're playing, if we're building, we're working on building up from the goalkeeper on that day, uh, you know, working with the goalkeepers with that, uh, while I have them for the first 30, 40 minutes, depending on, on the time. Uh, but making sure, you know, the, the training session flows really well with, with the group I have. And, and most days it's pool six, Stuver, Tyrell and myself. Uh, there's been weeks where we brought in college goalkeepers just to assess them. Right. So that adds to it, but mainly just making sure, making sure they're physically, you know, get, get activated quickly. And then there's a, there's a really smooth flow. And, and on most days we're, we're working on some type of distribution integrated into shot stopping or crossing. And just, I, I, you know, before I came here, I realized that, that I need to add as much, as much distribution as possible. Uh, knowing that the way we want to play. So, um, and trying to catch, get guys up to speed in, in terms of, of being comfortable with the ball. So, yeah. So trying to, you know, making sure that's ready to go uh, before, before the day uh, the, the training begins, touching base with the goalkeepers usually to check in how they're physically doing. Um, you know, for instance, this morning, uh, Brad and I watched a couple minutes worth of video uh, some days I'll touch base with all three of them, maybe with the, from the training the day before, uh, with a, a couple of video clips. Uh, then yeah, in the afternoons, it's, it's, it's again, going through the training, making sure you've got some ideas for the next day. Uh, and, and then, you know, prepping for the game and trying to make sure the guys have an idea of, of what they're looking for, you know, when they are building out of the back, what type of pressure are they going to be under? Who's pressuring them? Uh, you know, and then we provide them, we pro pro provide them with video of their attacking of, of their attackers, what they look like, where the shots are coming from. Uh, there's video of, of their penalty kicks and who, and who their top choices are. So there's a lot and it's changed. It sure has changed over the years where players are provided with a lot of information and, and our keepers, you know, the guys that have been involved uh, on game days with us, right. You've got Stuber, Tarbell, Tarbell and Pulisic. Boy, they 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 take on the information. They embrace it. They've been willing to learn, and so that's been the best thing about this goalkeeper crew. Uh, and Brady Scott, he 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 uh, uh, has done that as well. But now he's out on loan at the moment in Memphis. Um, but all these guys, they 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 have been willing to take it all on and, and saying, "Listen, I'm here to get better," uh, which has been which has made our jobs as coaches. Uh, enjoyable working with these guys. So Brad Stuver has been one of the biggest stories, if not the biggest story in Austin FC's short history so far. 
What is it like working with Brad and what are some of the things that kind of make him unique compared to other players that you've worked with in the past? Sure. Well, tying going back to the tie-in of of these guys having a growth mindset. You know, when we sat down with Brad at the beginning of the year, we said, "Brad, here's here's certain things we we saw uh, uh, in your game when you played for New York over the last couple of years. Right. And we said, we're going to work on those and here's video and here's how we're going to do it. And each day we'll, we'll, we'll chip away at these, these, these things. And in preseason, he would come in the next, you know, after a day of training, he'd come in and he'd have notes after going through it and watching it on his own. And boy, he was meticulous on, on, on his note-taking and what he thought of certain plays and, you know, not every single day we'd watch video, but then when we would, like he would say, I saw this and then we would have a conversation and his willingness to get better at 30 years old and being a pro now for a long time. I mean, whatever it's been eight, nine years, his willingness to get better is why he is where he is now. Now, are there still things he can get better at? And are there still things we're challenging him? Without a doubt. But he has taken this thing on and said, I want to get better. I want to be the starter. And I'm willing to play out of the back. And I'm willing I'm willing to, to, to you know, there's going to be trains where, yes, it's not going to go as, as perfectly as we want. And in games, like what happened the other day, not a perfect pass. But the next moment he has the ball, he's playing out of the back again. So his willingness to take to take on challenges and, and to make himself better is why is why he is where he is for sure. Um, now we've challenged him in terms of now he's established himself as our starter. Is now not only is he making sure he's right in every way, physically, tactically, technically. Now what else can he do for other players? How much can he help Alex Ring on a certain day? Does he need to check in with Rodney Rennes? Does he need to check in with Jared Stroud, Manny Perez, and like? now like checking in with certain guys and helping them out each day. So uh, he, he, he is taking, he's taking a lot on um, and he, he seems to be comfortable with, with the role that, that, that he's, he's put himself in. You hear uh, Josh Wolf and Claudio Arena talk about his kind of calming presence on the field and his ability to stay calm in those pressure situations. And then you, you mentioned kind of that learning mentality being a strength Switching back to the more technical aspects of his game, if you were talking to another goalkeeper coach, what is what are one or two things that you would say that Brad does technically very well? Well, his handling, his, his hands, he's got clean handling. Uh, and one thing that, that's been a big point of emphasis with us is just making sure his feet are set. He had a little bit of a hop uh, in, in New York and it wasn't major. It wasn't even a, a huge part of, of, of his shot stopping, but we, we talked a lot about it when we first sat down with each other and said, if we can just get you set a little bit earlier, and then we're talking split seconds earlier, uh, that will help you save so many more shots. And within trainings and now games, like you really see that coming to fruition. And again, it's because he's taken this on. He's been willing to, to get better at this. Um, I mean, Josh and myself and the other assistants, like we can talk all we want, but if the player is not willing to do it, then it's, it's, it'll be a challenge to get better. But Brad has taken it all on and, and that's, you know, and, and he's excelled at it. No doubt. You have anything else, Jeremiah, before we wrap up? No, I think this is great. I think, thanks for you very much for your time, Preston. I really appreciated uh, hearing from you and getting to learn a little more about 
the craft of goalkeeping in a way that I did not at all before. Yeah, Preston, thanks so much for joining us. This has been okay. fantastic. Okay, guys. Yeah, really appreciate the support. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'm telling you, I'm not even kidding. I get goosebumps uh, when I walk out on the field for warm-ups. I get goosebumps when the first whistle blows. It is, you guys, you guys are making this club uh, amazing and special to, to walk out uh, to, to our stadium. So uh, thank you guys for everything. Yeah, we, we feel the same way. And we appreciate that Brad seems to be learning the chants, too, which I was going to add. Like we, can, we see him like okay. singing under his breath on some of them okay. during stoppage. Okay. okay, well, that's good. I haven't, I see, that's something I haven't picked up on, but I'll be looking for that next game. You just, you just tattled on him, Jeremiah. Ah. Brad's going to get in trouble at training next week. <laughs> All right, well, thanks again, Preston. Okay, guys, yeah, okay, yeah. Thanks a lot. Talk to you. All right. We want to thank Preston one more time for joining us. I hope you guys really enjoyed that uh, interview as much as we did. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'd also like to encourage you to come find us on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Elviahero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore ATX. And then we're both on Twitter and Instagram at MoontowerSoccer. Uh, we'd also encourage you to visit the Striker Texas website. Do you, uh, Jeremiah, do you have any articles you want to plug this week? Yeah, I have one specific article I want to plug. We talked about Danny Pereira and how much at a at 20 years old he's meant to the club so far already. Um, and Chris Bills wrote a really good piece called Irreplaceable on him, which talks about how while Danny's the future, um, we probably should not be building around him, you know, just yet because of, of who he is. And, um, not who he is, but where we where we are. And in, in this, the second thing is uh, there's going to be a ton of Gold Cup coverage um, yeah. all around on the Striker Texas. So if you're into the Gold Cup, I would encourage everybody to check all of that out. Because I think Chris, Victor, and John are all spending a lot of time writing and about those stories. John Arnold is like one of the foremost CONCACAF experts in the world. And so to have him on staff writing about the Gold Cup, it's like, that's, that's about as good as you can do right there. So definitely check out his work. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we'll cover the latest in Austin FC news and uh, this Tigres match that you may or may not have already seen. We're also going to do a uh, Seattle Sounders preview with, uh, can we, we can go ahead and say who, who it's going to be with, right? Yeah, let's do it's that. It's going to be with Jeremiah O'Shan of uh, Sounders at Heart, which is, a long running, uh, I, I think they're part of uh, SB Nation, but have like a whole website where they post articles and also do uh, a podcast and they're doing really, really good work. So we're excited to have Jeremiah come on and talk, talk, uh, talk about the Sounders a little bit with us. We'll be back soon. Until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.